Mr. 40 Under 40, Carter Barth. Thank you for joining us on the podcast, sir. Yes, sir. Glad to be here. Man, always uh, a pleasure to get back and hang out with you, my brother. Yeah, man, we go, uh, we go, we go way back, dude. Way back, way it's back. to the hockey. Feels days. like yesterday, but then again, it feels like a long time with my aching knees and back. <laughs> I'm starting to feel the uh, the 36 doesn't feel the same, man. Yeah, man, I'm soon to be 37. How about that? That's uh, as long as we played football together was as long as it's been since now. What's Wait, that? does since that matter? We we played until we were 18, and now it's been 18 more years. Is it really? Ooh, man. Wait, 2004, right? Yeah. <clears throat> 2004 was our but we, senior year. But, you know, we played some soccer before that, all the all the craziness. Well, I didn't bang. Uh, I, didn't hit, I didn't hit like you guys did, so my body probably feels a little better. than. You know, I don't agree with you on that <laughs> statement. I think you were one of the most aggressive players on the field and, and uh, most athletic. Between you and me and our other friend Ryan Cook in the yeah. rec league, man, it, it got hectic. Yeah. Um. How did that lead into football? I believe I remember, but let's 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 start with that as a background to talk about your uh, football experiences. Yeah, no, I played. Uh, I knew nothing about football. I was soccer, played soccer, baseball, basketball, but never really thought about football. And then my dad's a Notre Dame grad, so obviously a huge football fan. We were uh-huh. watching a game one night when I was, I guess, yeah, going into my ninth grade year, and I saw the kicker, and I was kind of like, man, I could. I mean, being a soccer player, I was like, I could probably kick field goals. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. And it just happened to be that, like, I think, um, who was the? There was a wide receiver. Um, what was his name? I um, know who you're talking about. You don't I can't t- place the name. But um, we Didn't just had to break a, his ankle or something. Yeah, we just had Lewis Hobbs. Yeah, yeah. So we just had a wide receiver kicking. And, like, we've never really had a just an actual kick, place kicker at the position. It was just like a, you know, an athlete kicking. Mm-hmm. So uh, my freshman year, I went over and, like, kind of did a little tryout because Coach Braswell was looking for somebody. So you expressed interest. Yeah, and they were kind of looking. They all, I kind of heard that they were looking for a kicker. And so a couple of us, I think Kirby Taylor came over, a few guys, and we all just kind of, you know, I kicked and coaches were kind of like, whoa. Like, yeah. you know, they hadn't seen that, you know, in a, I mean, ever probably. So um, it just kind of worked out where, like, freshman year, they let me split time between soccer and football. So – just to kind of try it out and see how I did and mm-hmm. obviously, you know, did well. And, um, I remember the, I remember, I remember like very clearly that coach Braswell, we were kicking against Hanover and we played over in the backfield behind Legion. Mm-hmm. So I remember, I remember him telling me, he's like, Hey man, if you kick, if you kick all touchbacks in this JV game, you're going to get, I'll move you up to varsity. I was like, all right, done deal. And I went out and banged them all through the, through the end zone. So, uh, nice. so I think, so freshman year, I split time. I did soccer and then I would go over during practice for the special team stuff and uh-huh. kick field goals and then got super lucky. And, you know, obviously was talented enough to where Braswell brought me up to the varsity towards the end of my freshman year. And then people, just, I went, I started going to camps in the summer and then you start hearing the stuff like, Hey, if you, you've got the ability. Mm-hmm. So if you, um, you know, you need to make a choice though between soccer and football because it's such a different swing to be consistent. So I was like, everyone was saying, "Hey, you can go to school for free. Soccer's going to be tough because if you can't play in Europe, then you're not going to get. I mean, no offense to soccer, you're just not going to get paid." What? Yeah, it's less less probable to become a career. Correct. So when I knew I was like pretty good at soccer, I wasn't like elite. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? Let's let's. When someone said free scholarship, you know, help my parents not to pay for school, I was like, let's 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 do that. So yeah. I quit soccer after my freshman year and then focused on football and obviously you we played together you saw how it kind of turned out and it ended up being a 
an amazing kind of jump start and career and that was wild and it was uh you got on the super highway at that point like man, the football got serious it's crazy like I try to tell, like, so my dad is kind of the – my dad's a volunteer kicking coach now at Hoggard. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So I'll go out every once in a while and work with the kickers as well. And the biggest thing I try to tell them is, like, a lot of these guys aren't starting till like, their junior, senior year. And I'm like, man, I didn't play football till my freshman year. But when I started, that was, like, it. Yeah, I, com- you were I committed. I did everything. Like, it's such a tough – it's like golf. It's such a – you have to get that swing down. You got to dial it in. It's mm-hmm. got to be – it's got to be the same every time. And, like – that's what I try to preach to these kids is that, man, it is such an art. And, like, literally every kick has to look the same. And if you watch my film, every kick is the same, no matter what, from extra point to 55-yarder. So, that's wild. And that's the big difference I think you see is that, like, you have to, you know, miss parties. You got to miss a lot of stuff hanging with your friends because you got to go and really just – you got to be committed, man. And that's what I kind of – I didn't really date a lot of girls, and I just kind of really committed to just football and – obviously paid off and yeah. got a free got a full ride to, to Carolina and then obviously you know jump ahead it you know played for played in the NFL too so it's you really got to make that commitment to really you know achieve what you want to do so it was um a lot of sacrifice but it was it was dang well worth it yeah i agree it's been fun to watch you play man <laughs> yes and um was there any initial hesitancy like oh man i hate to leave soccer or was it pretty obvious to you the decision um it was you know it's always tough because that's what I grew up doing that's what I grew up playing I was did some Olympic development stuff but (coughs) honestly baseball was my best sport like no one knows that like I played when I lived in Tennessee I mean baseball was like a powerhouse there I mean we were playing 80 games a season um I mean I was my I was a I was that was my best sport Mm -hmm. center field pitcher we moved here going into sixth grade and I just the level just the level of the playing field kind of went down just it wasn't quite as as good as what Memphis, Tennessee had. So I would have mm-hmm. had to go to South Carolina and Myrtle Beach to travel to be on a team down there to really keep up with the competition. And I just yeah. kind of lost interest in it. So that was probably my best sport, but I was burnt out. And then, um, yeah, I mean, after my freshman year, I went to some camps and all these coaches were like, man, I was winning all the camps, kicking. Mm-hmm. And all these coaches were like, man, you're, you know, if you keep at it, you know, you can get the scholarship, like I say. And I was just like, all right, well, that's – that kind of was – it was pretty clear after that. Like, yeah. I could maybe kind of maybe get a scholarship playing soccer, but I knew, like, I was the elite guy. Like, I was beating seniors in high school when I was a freshman. Right. And, you know, like, I just had the talent as a kicker, and I was like – it was pretty clear after my freshman year, like, this is the path I need to go down because, you know, it could save my parents a lot of money and, you know, hopefully give me a an awesome future and provide for my family and – myself down the road if it worked out going to the NFL so right. it was pretty clear after my freshman year of high school that after the summer I was like yeah this is definitely what I was you know kind of brought on this I guess brought on this earth to do to kick and and to give back and be a role model so it was good yeah one of the things you were yeah, brought one on of this the earth things, to yeah. do yeah, yeah. Um, what uh how early on were were you really uh fired up about Carolina was Carolina always like in the running or always a top prospect or was it even later in the whole um, recruiting process that, that you really focused in on Carolina? No, I mean, a lot of people don't know, but <clears throat> I mean, my dad's an Notre Dame grad. My mom went to uh, Rochester, RIT up in, in, in New York and then went to George Washington um, for grad school in DC. So like I was an Notre Dame guy. I mean, I was Notre Dame through and through, didn't really know much about UNC because I'm not, 
who moved here in sixth grade. So I didn't grow up here mm-hmm. following the Tar Heels or following NC State or any of the state schools, you know. So it kind of came on towards the end. I mean, um, Coach uh, Bill Dooley, who's obviously a legendary coach, he was coaching the JV. He came back, moved, you know, he was just kind of helping out coaching the JV. And he was the one um, that kind of told me, hey, man, you need to go play for your state school. And then my kicking coach, um, Dan Orner, who was the kicker at UNC when I was in high school, mm-hmm. was kind of my coach. He kind of was pushing me to go to UNC, too, because he was like, hey, man, there's nobody behind me. You can start as a freshman, and then kind of went from there. But um, I look back, and, you know, I look back, and I wish I would have taken more visits to go to look look at different schools. I mean, I love – I mean, I'm so glad I went to UNC. Great school, great education, had a, an awesome four years there, but – I look back, I wish I would have taken more visits to like, um, you know, Ohio State and Oregon was recruiting me hard. I mean, I was pretty much the number one ranked kicker in the country coming out of my senior year. So I had letters of, I just boxes of letters from schools. I remember that box. And uh, Tyrone Willingham was a coach at at Notre Dame at the time. And he wrote me a handwritten letter saying, hey, you know, obviously, you know, you're a great kicker, but we already scholarship somebody. So we're not looking for somebody in your class. So that kind of, you know, threw Notre Dame out of the window pretty quick. Yeah. So that was pretty cool to get the handwritten note from him. But I knew right then and there, like, it wasn't that wasn't going to happen. I'd have to walk on. I didn't want to do that. And then at the end, it, be, it became uh, between two schools, Ohio State and UNC. And Ohio State had Mike, Mike Nugent at the time, who was going to be a senior when I was a freshman, and he went on to have a good career <laughs> in the NFL. And then – or Coach Bunning obviously said, hey, man, we have nobody here at UNC. You will start as a freshman, and um, it kind of was pretty simple there. I didn't want to sit out in red shirts, so yeah, Ohio. I you know I didn't go to I didn't do the Ohio State thing, and um, you know got a scholarship offer from UNC. What's a cool story is Ryan Suckup, who still kicks for the Buccaneers right now. Uh huh. He was a junior in high school when I was a senior. We both went to the camp to a kicking camp in the summer, and it was kind of between me and him. So like whoever kicked better that day was getting the scholarship. So like. Either I was going to get it and become and be a freshman next year, or they were going to wait and scholarship him the following year, and I ended up out kicking him. Uh huh. So I got the scholarship, which is pretty funny because I think he wanted to go to UNC because he's from he's from Hickory. Okay. Um, and then he ended up going to USC, South Carolina. Uh huh. And it all comes full circle because he took my job in in Kansas City in two thousand and nine when he was drafted, Mister Irrelevant. So it's wow. a pretty funny. Uh, Would you say when he was drafted what? Mister Irrelevant. So that's the last pick of the NFL draft. Oh, okay. And you usually get to like. It's a big deal. They give you like a watch. They let you. They take you to Disney World. It's kind of a funny <laughs> thing to be drafted as the last player. So it's okay. called Mister Irrelevant. Yeah. And he was drafted that to Kansas City and took my job in 2009. So it was kind of full circle where like I got the scholarship out of high school and then he took my job in Kansas City in 09. But we're still, you know, we're great buddies, great yeah. guy, great family guy. So it's and he's at Tampa now. And you t- played at Tampa. I mean, he got a Super Bowl, which is amazing because he's such a man, such a such a great guy. Yeah. Awesome guy. So super. Super pumped he was able to kind of live out that dream and, and, you know, get that experience to be a Super Bowl champion, which is cool. So it's kind of funny, like, because he's just from two hours away, really. Yeah, yeah. And I think he wanted to go to UNC, but he ended up going to South Carolina because I got the scholarship to UNC. So it's it's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, that is wild. Would you uh, – so there's 32 teams in the NFL, some of my, like, lack of knowledge about it, or, or at least the – the lack of paying attention over the recent years is going to come through. But there's 32 teams, right? 32. And so generally one kicker per team? Yep. Sometimes they have a guy in practice squad, but for the most part, it's usually one kicker, one punter, and one snapper. So that's the one position where there's no backups. Uh-huh. So you're one of 32, which is a pretty cool 
pretty cool achievement. You know, yeah, you can, no I, doubt. I can, you know, I can always tell people that I was one of thirty-two in the world. Yeah, my top thirty-two in the world to do it for to <clears throat> do it for a decade. So yeah, pretty 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 cool. And and what what is like the average career tenure um, for a kicker? For a kicker, oh man, that's tough. When the NFL is two and a half years. Mm-hmm. So an actual like. Just if you just took the average of an NFL player, it's two and a half years. So probably a little bit longer, so yeah, but because less impact or less, I guess, threat based on the nature of the position. Five years, maybe. Yeah, but yeah. I always, whenever I do, like, whenever I go talk in front of you know, in front of groups and stuff, I always say the NFL stands for not for long. Mm-hmm. So it's always a, they always people get a you know kick out of that just because it's really true. I mean, you know, I talk to guys and everyone always asks me like, when do you get your pension? And it used to be. Um, the third game into your fourth year, you got your pension. So you had to play like four years to even get any pension, which is ridiculous because mm-hmm. most players aren't making it that long because of injury or just you're getting you're getting cut, you're getting traded, and and now it's three full years. So they've dropped it a little bit, but still, I mean, that's tough. I mean, yeah, these owners are trying to you know, no offense to the owners, but they're trying to get you in and out so they don't have to pay that you know pay your yeah. ret- retirement. So I'm so yeah, I mean, it takes time. I mean, it's tough. You got to grind for three years just to get your to get some kind of a pension. And then obviously <clears throat> every year you play, it just keeps going up and up. Yeah. And it's great. But I mean, people don't know it's tough. I mean, most guys aren't probably even getting a pension because if they're not lasting three years, you're getting nothing. Right. Which is, uh, which is, and it used to be four years in three games, which is just insane. Cause like I said, most guys are not getting there. And unless you're one of a, in, one of the few guys that actually, you know, can stick around, which is just a tough, it's a tough business. Yeah, no doubt. Man, that's wild, and and I guess you saw people come and go, and I guess uh, there's some stuff like on TV about that, how like people are just suddenly dismissed and things like that. Like, what what's some crazy? I mean, you don't have to ne- call anybody out, obviously, no, I mean, but what's some craziness that you saw? I mean, you. I mean, it's. I think I want to say one year. I was in Tampa. We had like ninety something transactions. Mm-hmm. That's for like ninety transactions, wow. like with different players. And they're generally like ninety people on the team. There's fifty three, so ninety in training camp. Okay. And then you got your after like uh, whatever after the first preseason game. There's a cut down. There's another cut down. You get down to fifty three, and then you have, I mean, I should know this, but there's a certain amount of practice squad guys. Uh-huh. But your fifty three is what you what's on the active so roster. So 37 of the 90 transactions was just to 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 funnel down and filter out. No, this is like guys. during the actual season. Oh, another 90. So, no, oh, you're, so you're talking like, you know, because you're always having guys coming up and down from the practice squad. That's considered a transaction. So mm-hmm. like one player might be on practice squad for the week, then they bring him up for a game, and that's considered a transaction. They might bring him back down. You're getting practice squad, guys. If you're on practice squad, you're eligible to be traded anywhere. So yeah. anybody can come pick you up. So it's just crazy. I mean, I want to say the one year it was like '90s. It was just, in, it was just you would. It's hard to get get to know the guys on the team because all of a sudden it's like, holy moly, who's like, there's 20 new guys that have come in through. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just, um, you know, because I was lucky to be in Tampa for a pretty good extended amount of time. So I was seeing that just turnover, and it's just, man, it's a, it's a tough business. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's not like baseball where literally uh, you get traded and like all of a sudden you're like on the other team and you're you you had flown to the city you're playing and then all of a sudden you get traded to the team across the way in the other dugout so it's yeah, just like yeah. it's not like that but like it's crazy man you just don't you just never know most of the people I mean 90% of the league are week to week you know your paycheck to paycheck I mean they're great paychecks but most guys are living out of a suitcase out of a like extended stay hotel 
mm-hmm. or a furnished apartment that you're just kind of month to month because you just don't know what's going to happen. So, isn't that wild? I mean, most people, you know, everyone sees like the big contracts, right? Sure, like, sure. But and I mean, that's that's what people like associate, right? But you look at like you know, there's you know, obviously you know, eleven players on the field, right? So. Other than, I mean, you, so you got offense and defense, right? So, like, you still got another, like, 30 guys that are kind of backups or mm-hmm. – so it's – um they're, they're – a lot of those guys are fighting every day about, you know, because there's – you know, every – you know, there's always scouts from your team looking at other teams for players and all this stuff. So, it's just uh, – it's a, it's a very – I'm not saying it's a meat market, but it's a – you kinda That's a funny way You kind of got to, like, take – you mean, I, I've learned very quickly that you got to take care of yourself. Yeah. You're definitely, like – I think honestly, right now the Bills, because obviously I'm a huge Bills fan, but I think they are. They seem to be a, a pretty good family. Like yeah. they seem to genuinely care about each other and stuff of like that. But I think the majority of the NFL is like, hey, you know, you got to play for the you know the name on the back of your jersey and take care of yourself first. Right. Because I mean, you can't. You know, you sh- obviously you're on a team, but you really just got to take care of you because you just it's a very it's a, it could be very quick where you're out of that, you know, you're into a different organization. So I've learned very quickly that you kind of just got to trust yourself, learn about yourself and really just care about, Hey, you need, as long as you take care of business and do well and play well, you're probably going to keep your, keep your jobs so, yeah. and you're, or you're, or you're performing for 31 other teams, you know, so that's yeah. kind of, I can't imagine, um, you know, buying a, buying a place, buying an apartment, maybe spending a lot of money on a car or whatever, like essentially the money's burning a hole in the pocket and, and we're looking very short-term satisfaction rather than long-term. And then, I don't know, get traded to another team, drop the practice squad, maybe out of the league. Like, oh my God, it just seems like it could happen quite quick. I mean, I was, I mean, my rookie year, I got, I wasn't, I was a, like, what do you call it? A priority free agent. So I didn't get drafted, but priority free agent to the Kansas City Chiefs. I got a $5,000 signing bonus, the most money I've ever gotten in my life. Yeah. You know, you're in college. You're like, oh, yeah, five grand. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I went to Kansas City, um, kicked really well in preseason, but they wanted to stick with a veteran. So they kept the veteran in and released me. I went back to UNC, got a little apartment, worked at the Finley Golf Course, was one of those guys that drove the cart where you're hitting people, you know, where they're trying to hit you on the driving range. (laughs) I was just out there just driving that thing, getting hit in that cage. That is awesome. I didn't know that. I was literally just staying in shape and um, just being ready for if a team called, and I was just making minimum wage, just kind of, you know, I had a little, I had the $5,000 signing bonus, but after taxes, what is that, like 3200 bucks? Yeah, yeah. Which still is like, to me, is like, holy crap, I never had that in college. Oh, I know? got it, man. Um, I thought I was rich, you know? So it's... Uh, that's, that's the, the I feel like the most <laughs> rich I've ever been was straight after college, yeah. like super small salary, and I was like, this is excellent. You know? <laughs> it's the, like, it was just like, I was living the dream, just playing golf, you know, help cleaning carts, and then... Uh, the guy they kept in Kansas City kind of did okay, but didn't do great. So they brought me back like midway through the season, mm-hmm. and I finished out, and I think I won eighty percent, which is back in two thousand eight, um, and that was pretty good. I mean, obviously percentages have gone up, you know, insanely high now. Really? Like, I mean, you gotta to keep your job now kicking. You need to be like eighty five percent plus wow. like to really like be pretty secure you might even need to be 87 it's is that the blended average or do they stick to like 40 to 50 or something no that's kind of the blended average i remember i signed my deal and i signed my big deal in 2012 with tampa the next uh yeah so that year 
I was like just under, I was like 84-ish going into the last game, and I went four for four against the Saints. And I remember mm-hmm. my GM was like, glad you got those four field goals, man. Got you over 85%. I'm like, relax, man. Like, you know, it's like he was <laughs> like, you know, like you need to, you know, <clears throat> obviously I was getting paid very well. So he's like, this is the standards. Like yeah. you will not be below 85% because so it's pretty crazy. So I was like 80 my fresh, my rookie year, and then that's when they drafted Ryan Suckup. Mm-hmm. And then it's back on the street. Um, and then yeah, I got it. I guess I kicked well enough to where this um, there was a guy Dan Carpenter kicking for the Dolphins. He was struggling a little bit in camp. Mm-hmm. They brought me in there, and I like lit it up, man. I was like, I think it was ninety like ninety six percent in training wow. camp, which is insane. Like we kicked probably like seventy field goals in training camp. Yeah, and I actually out kicked him, but. They just they just wanted I think kind of have someone push him a little bit to kind of get him and he started kicking well again so they kept him and I'm just like man what do I got to do here because 96 yeah. percent is ridiculous <laughs> but Parcells came up to me and was he was, he was working there he was like man you remind me of a guy named Adam Vinatieri I was like all right that's pretty cool yeah and obviously yeah. he's like a he's gonna be a Hall of Famer and I was like all right that kind of kept me motivated to keep going because after I like kind of got cut there I'm like man I've been cut two two times in like a year and a half I'm like this is this right. is tough. I'm like sitting on the sidewalk of the hotel talking to my dad and like my mom, like, man, I don't know if this is the this is, I'm cut out for this. And so, yeah. cause I was living out of a hotel and, but I kicked so well in training camp that, um, Tampa saw me mm-hmm. and, uh, brought me in and that's at the Miami training camp. So yeah, my, so Miami training camp, I kicked really well and kicked well in preseason. Uh-huh. So essentially when you're in camp, you're really, you're not only performing for the team, but you're performing for the other 31 teams. Cause they're obviously going to have roster changes once the beginning of the season starts. Yeah, yeah. So they kind of had um, – they kind of kept an eye on me. I didn't start out the season, but the guy they had in Tampa was kind of struggling. So mm-hmm. they brought me in pretty early. And obviously the rest of history, I ended up kicking 350 yarders against Miami that same year, which was pretty cool. Like, mm-hmm. so that's still, I think, still tied as NFL record to this day. So it's pretty cool to, like, kind of stick it to them a little bit, you know, because <laughs> they, they cut me and then I go in and kick 350 yarders against them. And that kind of, I think that, and I had a game winner at the end of the year that year too. So that kind of solidified my, my top, my spot in Tampa. Was that in Miami? In Miami. Yep. Is that um, now the game winner you kicked for Carolina against Miami? That was, was, that col- that was in, college. In Miami. That was in Chapel Hill. Ah. So that was man. That was two thousand four. Yeah, I, f- I think I was a freshman at VMI, yeah. and I was like watching it online. I might have even been watching it on the box score, and I was just like, what, what. Refresh? Yeah. Like, uh, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't even think my, I don't think my brother, God, I don't think my brother came because he was like, oh, we're going to get, UNC's going to get blown out because Miami was like number four in the country. Yeah. And then my parents just were like, you know, we'll go up for the heck of it. Like not right. thinking anything was going to happen. Cool to see yeah. Miami. And then, you know, their, their son kicks a freaking oh my God. game winner as a freshman as, at 18 years old. So that was a crazy, yeah, I have a lot of good, good st- I have a lot of good things against my, I mean, I have a lot of good, uh, mojo against Miami man yeah. game winner in college then 350 yards in the pros <laughs> something about it but like yeah kicking down in Miami I mean kicking in Florida is awesome whether yeah. it's warm it's not Tampa's pretty windy but like Miami's not quite as bad as as Tampa is so right um so that's always nice when you're in those nice warm climates the ball goes you know tra- seems to travel a little bit farther yeah yeah and if it is windy it doesn't move the ball quite as much as like the really cold places like Chicago and Buffalo and stuff like that. So if it's windy and warm, it's not quite as bad. If it's windy and cold, it's just, man, it's, it's brutal. Yeah. You think that, does that have to do with the way the ball is impacted? Like the leather of the ball is impacted by the cold? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, you just, you know, 
obviously the, the, the colder it gets, the harder the ball is. Mm-hmm. And it just has to do with that cold air, man. Cold air and wind, it's just, it just moves, moves moves the ball around a lot more than if it's super if it's windy and warm. So you get a little bit of you have a little play if it's if it's warm and windy, you get a little more leeway. But if it's cold and windy, man, it is you gotta be spot on. It is tough. Yeah, you you related to a um, golf swing. Like I know they have those golf simulators. How much did technology play into when you were kicking at that level? Um, it was like analyzing your, your swing and your plant and how your distance and all this and how early you put weight on a certain foot and yeah, no, that's hectic. That's a good question. No, I mean, it's, I mean, we came, I mean, I came in in 08, so it was still pretty like kind of old school. I mean, there wasn't a lot of technology with that, but I mean, now, I mean, yeah, the golf simulating stuff is crazy. Like now they have, I mean, I don't think it's still gotten to the kicking. Like, I don't think they figured that out yet, but Mm -hmm. They have a track man thing now that they use in the NFL and stuff that can track, like, rotation, distance, um, height at the line of scrimmage. So, like, I was out in San Diego this offseason kicking, and the guy was out there, and he had the track man thing set up, which was pretty cool. So, like, when you kicked it, if it was 55 yards, that was the like the distance. It would actually tell you, like, it was good from 64, you know. So, mm. it was pretty cool. And then it would tell you you were – 11 feet at the line of scrimmage. So, like, the average, I think, this past year in the NFL was, like, 10 point, a little over 10 feet at the line of scrimmage. So, it's cool to see that, like, you know, you're a little above average at the line of scrimmage because, you know, you don't want to get it blocked. Mm-hmm. So, that track man thing is pretty, pretty insane. Yeah. It doesn't, like, mess with your – it doesn't tell you about your swing, but it just tells you distance, velocity, height, and, like, kind of rotation. That's kind of what you really care about. So, like, I don't think they've gotten it yet to where – they can like get you in a simulator and kick and like see how your leg swings around the ball and stuff like that. But right. I'm sure it's coming sooner or later. Maybe I need to get on that. Yeah, so. yeah. We'll sidebar on that. But it's yeah, we could but it's not you know, it's still such a specialized position that like golf is you know, the reason it works in golf is because it's not just a everybody plays it. So uh-huh. you know what I mean? And like, there's such like wide range of swings, mine yeah. being really terrible and other people, you know, being very consistent. But, like you got like, you know, me and you go out and play golf just for fun. Mm-hmm. But, like, you're not kicking unless you're playing in the NFL or college. Yeah. So it's a little bit more. But kicking. it's worth so much. No, I mean, I guess, good. like, so many millions of dollars for the teams are determined in in many cases yeah. by these critical points. But it's, you know, I think it hasn't qu- we haven't quite seen the technology in kicking quite yet just because it's still it's still very specialized to the sport where, like, golf's recreational, so. You got guys like me who I just played Pinehurst all last week, mm-hmm. and it would have been awesome to get into a simulator and just see, like, how I'm swinging the club and just kind of seeing what my velocity is and stuff like that because that can help you just get better every day. Like, you're not going to go out like, you know, like you know, like my dad's not going to go out and kick footballs. So, yeah. like, it wouldn't make any sense for him to learn how to, how he swings his leg, you know. But sure. for golf, I mean, that's like a world, you know, a, a world sport and so many just, you know, regular people can play it and that's why I think it's done so well with that with the simulators and stuff like that so it's but we watch film extensively so that's kind of what I just did with just I don't know it's pretty cut and dry like either you make the kick or you don't so uh-huh. I wasn't a big I'm not a big film guy I'm more of like a feel guy so like I don't like to watch myself miss yeah I think it puts bad thoughts in your head sure so I would, most of the time I would try to just watch the makes and the good kicks and then learn from that because I don't like to watch the negativity and that kind of thing and Luckily, in 2012 or 11, I only missed two kicks the whole season, so it was really easy. So I just That's had a lot good. of good kicks, which was good. So I think I learned that from Tiger Woods. If you ask him, a lot of times he 
only talks about the good shots he had. He never really talks about a bad shot, which is which is uh-huh. a cool thing from a positive, like kind of a mindset thing, because your brain is just it's all it is, man. It's all yeah. mental most of the, most of it. Oh, I definitely believe that. And I, I'm a big believer that it'll feel like you're just uh, just like completely laser focused and determined that you can do something. I mean, it already gives you such a such an impact from the jump. You know. No, I mean it's. Um, I mean. When you get to the NFL, it's pretty much everyone can kick. It's more mental. So, like, 90% mental, probably 10% physical. Because mm-hmm. everyone at that level has got the ability. It's more or less, hey, can you block out the noise? Can you block out the stress? Can you block out the fans? And just kind of lock in and, and trust and um, and do your job. And I think that's – I was so locked in my first, like, eight years. Like, I mean, literally just knew every time I went out I was making that kick. And that's the mindset you have to have as I got a little bit older and – started letting things creep into my head a little bit about, and it made me a little more inconsistent. I was a little bit more unsure about my swing and, you know, and all that stuff. So, I mean, that mental part of it is just like, I mean, psychology, you know, sports psychologists are super important in kicking as it is in golf and a lot of these sports. I mean, they can really help you learn how to like visualize success. And I mean, I had a sports psychologist have me lay in bed at night before I went to bed and just visualize myself kicking field goals so like you're just seeing yourself on the field at different spots mm-hmm. and um it just kind of helped me so much I mean I, I mean my I'd started doing that in college and I went 100% the next year and I kind of took that into the NFL and just really just tried to go out in my mind the day before the game and already make all the kicks yeah so it kind of gives you more confidence and you've already done it and you've already played it in your head so it's kind of a cool way to way to think about it and man I think you can use that in any 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 walk of life no doubt even in jobs too if you're going in for an interview or got a big presentation i mean if you can kind of play that in your head yeah and already have it played out how you want it to go if you're going on a first date shoot <laughs> play it out i do it all i mean when i was when, you, when you're dating man i'd always play it out in my head like this mm-hmm. is how i might not go exactly but you kind of like anticipate and kind of have a feel for how you'd like it to go yeah yeah I think it just helps in anything so it's not just sports related it's just an everyday life if you can kind of visualize success and I think that builds confidence and um, being prepared is, you know, being prepared for anything is super important. Yeah, I'm, I'm big on that. And um, in, in sales meetings, I like to do that and envision like the initial objection and how you're going to counter that. And then the couple different roads that could go down from there. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that. And then you hear, you know, some of these guys like Conor McGregor and, and there's a guy who's real big in jujitsu named Gordon Ryan, who will speak to that and then they'll even call like how they're going to win the fight and when and it's just like mind-blowing to me i mean your mind is uh super powerful it's almost it's almost scary yeah it's almost i've learned how scary it really is just so scary how powerful your mind is if you can train it to work in the right way in the positive ways it can make some serious impact in your your life in in a good way i mean it can negatively impact you big time too if you're not sure you're throwing negative thoughts in your head so like you would say like, um, I am going to make this field goal. You never say I'm not, I'm not, or I I'm might not, miss. yeah, I'm not going to miss. You, yeah. you never want to have not in there. So like there are little things here and there. It's like, I'm going to make the field goal. Never like, I'm not going to miss. Cause yeah. you don't want that not in there. So there's just little crazy things that I learned and it's transitioned into other things. Like when I go speak at a, if I go public speak at an event, you know, I try to really visualize the audience and kind of what the reactions will be and like kind of what the questions might be like you do in sales, you know, sales meetings and stuff like that. And now with, you know, blue shark vodka and stuff we're presenting, it's just important to have a game plan. I mean, it's just, just, I mean, I always say you can never be 
overprepared, man. You just, I mean, yeah. the more prepared you are, that's why Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and Drew Brees and all these guys were so good because, like, they literally knew what every defensive player was doing before before the game even started. So it's just um, that's why they're so good and what they do. And and it's, it's important for people to know that, it, it you know, if, if you're prepared, you're not going to fail so, Yeah, because you're ready to go and you know how to handle every situation. So I think right. that that's really – um, I got to go speak to a, uh, I got to go speak to like a youth football team here in a couple of weeks and cause they're going into high school and it's just about pretty much probably what I'm going to talk about is just like, just be more prepared than the other person, you know, like yeah. understand your position and be better than the other person. And if you prepare and you study and, um, that's the way to do it. And then I heard Tim Tebow talking about how, like, stop worrying about like what other people do. Yeah. Like just like you might not have their ability, but whatever God gave you, like trust your ability and use what that he gave you to the best of your ability and stop worrying about. That's why, you know, today's world's crazy with social media and mm-hmm. everyone's trying to look like this person and it's just ridiculous. Yeah, so it's, it's like, how about like, just be the person that God made you be or what, you, you know, who you are and just use those, whatever your best qualities are, use those to your best, to your, to your advantage. And I think that's probably what, cause that's probably what I'll say to these, these kids next week, just to kind of, help them yeah you know. be be the best version of you yeah. i've heard yeah. that in a recent thing and and i think it goes back like you you even if you have the confidence and it's warranted or unwarranted it goes back to what you're saying about the reps and, and putting in the time and and i think you can't have one without the other like you wouldn't have the confidence without the reps and even if you had the confidence and no reps like it's it's just not the right equation so it's like, and and I always talk about that all the time with what we do in terms of just like being the most experienced and, and having the most depth in our organization um, has allowed us to really like perfect our, our unique like application and technology. And nobody else can say that. And, that, and then where a lot of places that do business, they'll recognize Michael Jordan. So I'll drop that like we're from the same hometown. Yeah, What's up? Wilmington to. NC. And, uh, you know, like, there's all those stories about him out shooting free throws until, like, all hours of the night and things like that. And I'll say that's who we are, man. No, I mean, the biggest thing I think I took away, one of the biggest things I learned just being a UNC per, at UNC was Mia Hamm obviously played soccer there. Mm-hmm. And I remember the famous quote she had was, like, you know, no one, you know, she would always talk about, like, doing stuff when no one's watching, right? Mm-hmm. You know, working out and, you're you know, you're only, like, as good as when, you know, doing stuff on your own, not, you know, don't be just a guy that goes out there in front of the cameras and works hard, be working hard behind the cameras. And I think that that was one of the big things I learned is that like, even to this day, I mean, I'm still trying to play football, but like, I'll be, I'll do workouts on my own that no one sees just cause like, that's just the person I am. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't need people to tell me and I don't need satisfaction from someone watching me work out. Like, I just want to work out because it's good for me. It's healthy. Yeah. I enjoy it. And like, I think that's the big, I learned that remember her, that quote about how like, you know, you know, what are you doing when people aren't watching you? And I think yeah. that says a lot. Like anyone can be somebody in front of people, but like, who are you behind closed doors? Are you that same person or are you somebody completely different? So I think that's like, that's kind of stuck with me about my work ethic and kind of gotten me where I am. And I try to preach to these, these younger guys too. Like you just, you know, don't, you know, with all the social media now, you know, yeah. you're th- what, like, I think Joe Burrow even said it, like you don't need to put all your workouts on, uh, you know, on the, you know, on the internet and all that stuff, like just, just, you know, you, you got to do it. Cause that's what you, you know, if you want to be the best, you got to do those workouts anyway. So stop like 
You don't need to tell. You need to let everybody know you're doing it. You should yeah. be doing it. Like that's just part of your job. So. Well, act as if. Yeah. You know, of yeah. course, I'm working out. You know. So I learned that was pretty cool. To that's kind of what I still to this day just kind of preaches that you know what what are you doing when people aren't watching because <clears throat> yeah. that's really important. Well, that triages into so much of life too, you know. What yeah. it, what what are you doing when no one's looking? Yeah, um, goes into the business world. I just want to do a time check. Yeah, we're good. Um, so then, you know, I want to I want to bring about a uh, funny story that I I loved when I went to a few of your games back in the day. I loved that we would walk by these these like. Uh, luxury cars and interesting cars in the parking lot and we would walk over to your Acura and I thought that was the absolute coolest thing <laughs> you know we walked by uh, a bunch of extremely expensive cars and then and then you you hung on to the Acura for a while right several years into the league yeah I mean so my first car well, I had the Xterra I had yeah. a Nissan Xterra going in when I was in Kansas City uh-huh and after I've played that year out, I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to get, get myself something decent. I don't want to go anything. So I bought a used Acura. Yeah. It's still in the family today. Is it? My aunt drives it. That's great. It's got like a hundred and God, I might have 200,000 miles on it now. Yeah. Man, I love that thing. I thought I was the coolest guy. <laughs> and then you pull up to the, you know, you pull up to and you see Maseratis and, you know, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, especially like Bentley. if you notice, like if you'll see, like if you go to a game, like you in Florida, obviously yeah. you the Tampa games, you'll notice the cars are like more sports cars in the South. And then like when you get up into Chicago and Buffalo, it's like big trucks oh, just because, really? you know, it gets cold and you don't want a Ferrari in 10 degree. You don't want to be driving a Ferrari in the snow. Makes sense. So you'll see like more of the flashy cars are like, you know, in the, you know, more the Southern, where the Southern teams are, Southern cities where it's a little warmer and then you get up. But I mean, now, I mean, all these, got these, you know, Lamborghini makes an SUV, Ferrari just, you know, you got Bentley has SUVs. So yeah. I mean, it's all changed so much since I started playing, but I remember it was so funny, man. 2011, I was driving, my, I was driving my Acura into the player parking lot and my, uh, my special teams coach goes, man, you drive, you drive an Acura. I was like, yeah, man, what's wrong with that? And so, that was three years in, right? That was three years in. So eight now, yeah, eight, nine, ten, four years in. Yeah, yeah. So I still had the Acura. I mean, I didn't, I bought that Acura used because I was very, you know, because, you know, it, I wasn't making, I, I don't think I had played, um, I think I'd played one full season. So uh-huh. I played like a part of the season in Kansas City in 08, part of the season, most of the season in Tampa in 09, then 10 was my first full year, mm-hmm. which is still like back in the day and on minimum salary was nothing like what the salaries are now, you know, mm-hmm. like minimum for a rookie now is insane. I think it's like close to 700 grand. It was like yeah. 285,000 when I was a rookie. So it's changed tremendously. Right. So I was like trying to be frugal and I'm still with my same financial advisor. So he was trying to keep me in line and making sure, um, cause you just don't know how long it's going to. Oh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's a, a brilliant yeah. decision. You know, a lot of, a lot of people <laughs> have said to me over the years, like, as you ascend in your career and you get pay increases, like don't level up, like essentially you can live on, on this, like oh, yeah. carve that out and just let that compound and grow and grow and go to work for you. And I mean, that's at scale. That's just such an immense, like super powerful thing. If and I look back, I wish I still drove my accurate TL right now. Yeah. Cause I got, so when my special teams coach said that, that one, that one yeah, day. Yeah, he planted a seed. The next day I came back with a Range Rover. Oh, so. man. That is <laughs> and then that. it was, and then after that, it's been downhill. That's a pretty big boy move, though. Yeah, I mean, I was like, you know what? All right, 
she wants to say, all right, I'm going to I'm going to go get a new car then. So I went and got a, a I bought a Range Rover. I don't, I don't know if, I don't think it was, it wasn't, it wasn't new. It was used. I bought it here in, in Wilmington at you know, the Cape Fear Land Rover dealer with uh-huh. Matt, Matt Meekin. I still deal with him. He's still my guy today. Right. Um, and then I bought every model since 2011. So that's not good. Uh-huh. <laughs> but so I went down the, but w- what it's very easy to go down that once you get a taste of it. Yeah. Man, yeah. It's, For and then, sure. And then in four years, every year, every four years, a new model comes out. You're like, man, that infotainment screens doubled the size and the suspension changed. The exhaust is better. And then you just get the, you know, you're starting to get paid more money. Like you said, it's like, man, it's very easy to. Yeah. Level, I, level up your life with I, the, with the paycheck. I drank the, uh, I drank the water a little bit. I, uh, I think that's, important, I've had a man. few, uh, you know, I've had a few, few cars in my day, but you know what? I haven't, I haven't been married yet. I don't have kids. And so I was like, you know what? I could be a little selfish and enjoy myself. And you know, you work hard too. So you should, you should still, you should treat yourself and enjoy. Absolutely. But I look back and like, man, if I would have just, I've always wanted a Ferrari. That's like my dream car. Mm-hmm. If I would have just bought that in the beginning, it'd been great because I've been through so many cars since that that I've spent pretty much as much, probably or more, on what a Ferrari would have cost. So I'm like, man, if I would have just bought that Ferrari in the beginning, I just didn't want to spend that at the beginning. You know what well, I mean? Well, like, too, it's not like the yeah. most practical thing. Like, are you gonna like run up the the highway to, yeah. to Walmart? <laughs> you know, like. So it's just funny. I look back and like, man, I just bought the. I'd have my, I have my SUV and then I got, I should just bought the Ferrari at the beginning and spent the money. But I'm like, man, 250,000 for a car just seems, ooh, I just don't know. I'm like, I can go buy real estate or go buy, you know, that just seems like, man, that's, ooh, that's a lot of money. So, man, I don't think anybody would blame you for having fun with a few cars. What, what would you say, um, that you, like, I guess what's the favorite one and what, what have you enjoyed most? Um, I mean, I'm a huge, huge Range Rover guy. So yeah. like, that's my everyday driver, man. Big shout out to Matt over at K Fear Land Rover dealership. He's my guy. I mean, he they they're amazing. Love them. I'll never. That's the only SUV I'll probably drive. But then, man, I mean, I'm a. I've had a couple Maseratis. I uh-huh. I just I just sold my last one a, a year ago, and I miss it every day. So really? that was probably my. That was the coolest car, man. I had a 911 Porsche. I've had a G wagon. I've had an, I've had a couple Audis, man. I've had a. Few, <laughs> I've been through a few cars, but uh, the. The Maserati is just, man, it just the sound of that thing is just, they don't, I mean, that V8 is just a, they tune that thing perfect, man. So it's, I miss just going down to the Wrightsville Beach and just, just freaking putting that thing and just revving it and just, yeah. it's loud. Up, up to 35 miles an uh, hour yeah, only, yeah, right? Yeah. But it's just, or is man, it 25? I don't know. You go through tunnels, it's just blowing people's eardrums out. It's awesome. Oh, so that's it's just, cool. um, it's just, I miss that a little bit. But, you know, you kind of, you know, as you grow up, you phase out of stuff and, cars are cars they're just not you know it's great it's great it's fun when you're younger i think but now it's like man so many other things that you can do to like further yourself as a person and like now it's more about investing 100 percent and trying to you know i prepare myself like down the road for you know making sure you're taken care of and all that stuff and my family's taken care of and all that so like cars are cars but man they're depreciating assets that's all they are no so doubt that, like the moment you drive off the lot all that story like oh that's painful but yeah so now it's uh so now I'm like, I still get the itch every day to go buy something, a new yeah. car, but I'm like, you know what? I can go buy a, I can go buy a duplex or I can go buy a, some a multifamily house or, you know, buy a lot. So it's like, man, that then maybe in 10, 15 years, all right, I'll go buy a car cause I can. And I don't, you know, it's just, it's for fun now. So, but you know, things kind of change and your mindset changes. So you go through your little fun phase and oh yeah, but like I said, you mean you have kids. I mean, it's, 
it's uh you know that I haven't had kids and been married and stuff like that I've been able to because you know if I was married and had kids I'd be spending all my money on my kids yep so I, I can confirm <laughs> I've been able to I've been able to kind of you know be a little selfish here and there and all that so it's but um but yeah so it's been it's and been, you still got plenty of time to have kids if that's what you choose right. to do that's right so it's been uh, it's been a fun it's been fun man it's been a fun ride and I've seen some I've seen F650s pull up that look like Mack trucks I've seen I've seen everything. It's pretty cool to just see what these guys drive, and the it's 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 fun. Yeah, it's neat, yeah. man, because it's not something that everybody gets to see. Yeah. And I, I've uh, been lucky enough to have a, a good friend who's who's into really nice Porsches, and the power is just like shocking. And my dad, as you probably know, had uh, hot rods always growing up, so like. He would he would take us out like he would he would tinker on it make some change or repair something and he'd be like all right let's go drive it and he'd like throw you into the seat and you're getting experience in the G's and all that and then inevitably like something would break and he'd go back to the to a workshop make it happen but my goodness like riding in um, a GT2 RS. Oh. That's 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 I've never been in one of those, but I've heard it's just insane. Hey man, you used to throw us around in the Mazda Miata a little bit. Oh yeah, that's right. That is <laughs> right, drive, man. That was my race dude, car. You used to drive that thing, man. Man, what <laughs> what a first car, a Mazda a Miata stick shift, right? You used to dri- was. Dude, you used to drive that thing. Man, I broke it. You know, like ooh, I drove. <laughs> I still them. remember. I, I some probably of those. have a world record for driving a Mazda Miata harder than anyone. I still remember those days, man. You used to drive that thing. Yeah, it was awesome. That was wild. Yeah. I, feel, I feel like going back to the early football days, like I feel like there was one or two times where we had about five passengers Yeah, in the Mazda Miata. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Ted used to drive that other car he had. He used to drive that thing like crazy, too. I don't know, some older – it was hilarious. I still remember yeah, some of Yeah, it was like this. a Dodge Dart. Or, <laughs> I know, was it a Shadow? It was a, like, it was a Shadow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, holy moly. Oh, my so, goodness. Yeah, we had some – those were some – those were the days when you didn't have uh, – and like, you started with a Volvo. Yeah, had a Volvo. Yeah. 740 Turbo, and then... Uh, it was all even like Carolina Blue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had the, you had the phone in the car. That, uh-huh. was, that was awesome. That Did was, you? Yeah, I had the phone connected in the oh car. Oh, my goodness. You've been fancy yeah, since... Yeah, man. So. I, had, I had heat seaters <laughs> in that thing back in the day. Back in... I think it was a 1986, man. That thing was awesome. That thing was loaded out. Eight-seater. So, yeah, heat seaters. Oh, heat seaters. Yeah, yeah. So, like, oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, heat seaters in a 1986 Volvo with, like, a... in your Handheld phone. Man, that thing was the 1986. Yeah, Goodness great. You were born in 86. I was right? born in 86. And uh, yeah, my, we bought, we bought, we we moved to Wilmington. We bought the Volvo from some friends in Tennessee. Yeah. They were selling it. And that was my car. You know, obviously, my parents want to put me in a safe car. Volvos uh, are known for like, you know, you can, they're pretty much like brick walls. Yeah, I have one now. So it's great. They're great cars. And, um, but then, yeah. So then my dad, I remember my dad was like, hey, man, if you get a scholarship, I'll buy you a car. And he didn't. He was like, he's not going to get a scholarship. And then I got one and my brother did. Because yeah. we both, get, so we both, we got my dad good. We got my mom and dad good. What what so car did your brother get? He got a Nissan Frontier. Okay. So he got, we still have that truck. Man, y'all yeah. stayed Nissan. I don't know why. I, I should have really just, I should have gotten my. Oh, but the Xterra was yeah. mad cool yeah. when yeah. we were in high school. It was a good car. And then I drove that for a little bit. And, um, but then it was a. It was fun, man. It was a good. This is a good old days. Those are the days when we didn't have picture phones, and you know we oh could, you know, goodness. we could. <laughs> well, probably like thank goodness at that point, you know. Oh God, you know we got away with a little few things here and there, uh, here and there, here and there. <laughs> I mean, we we uh, at one point got um, 
question yeah. uh, because we were fooling around in the car at a, at a stoplight. I was hitting the brakes as you were trying to drink the, the largest container of Gatorade yeah. I've ever seen. Oh, I mean, to this day, I remember us pulling up to practice and all of a sudden we're like on the field. We were on the game field. I think it was the day before the game or something. Uh, yeah, I feel like it was a walkthrough. Right. Yeah. And they're like, the principal yeah, the and sheriffs the, come the out sheriffs. there. They're like trying to search your car. Yeah, have you like, guys been drinking? Like, are you serious? <laughs> Is going, that a serious question? We're going to football practice. Right? <laughs> yeah. But I think we were playing a rival that week. Yeah. It might have been Hanover or somebody, so I'm sure it was probably a Hanover fan or a Laney mm. fan or somebody that saw us and was like, yeah, we're going to get these guys because, uh-huh. you know, we were we were two studs playing for Hogger, That's man. That's right. So, That's hey, if we right. take the fullback and the kicker out, somehow get them out of the game, we might have a chance. But, nah, it didn't work out that way. I like your theory <laughs> yeah. here, you know, especially me being a stud. Like, yeah. that part's really cool. Dude, you, <laughs> man, you were, dude. We'll be running the ball without you, man. Oh, my word. Yeah, those, those Brandon were different Spe- days. Brandon Spencer better thank you, dude, for all those holes you were. Oh, my gosh. That guy. <laughs> they have, man, he was so talented, too, yeah. though. That, that was, those were crazy days. You were talking about Hoggard playing with a, um, before your time, like a, just a good athlete at the kicker. Like, that blows my mind to think about that because – we became a really talented team, and then they went on to, to grow even further than that. Like, I mean, they won a state championship my brother's senior year. So, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, kind of when Braswell got there, he kind of changed the whole culture of, like, getting in the weight room and really, I mean, he, you know, he, 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 he busted our butts in that weight room. So, I mean, it was, and it's no doubt. carried over with Coach Underwood and all that. And because, um, I mean, if, do you remember we were, like, we were lifting weights over by the baseball field mm-hmm. our freshman year. And then, is that not the same place? No, now? they because they didn't have – remember, Hoggard's field wasn't there our freshman year. Yeah. So we, well, I didn't play football until okay. junior year. Okay. But yeah. So Hoggard's football field wasn't there till our till my our sophomore year. Okay. So we played at behind um, Legion Stadium. on the, That was our home field. We did? Oh, my yeah. goodness. So we, we trained for, – For varsity? Yeah. Uh, yeah, for everything. Wow. So I think – yeah, so I think, well, I think varsity played at Legion. Okay. In the, and then we played, JV played behind it. Mm-hmm. So freshman year, we were working out in some, like, shed over there by the baseball fields. And then sophomore year, I think, is when they built Hoggard Stadium and the um, in the facility and the weight room. And oh, stuff. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you got the good. You got the good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were there for the well, good. Well, I don't know, man. Yeah. I, I love the fact, like, that spoiled the rest of my gym experiences because it was, like, such a dungeon. Yeah. and. Because I wrestled in there too, right? So, yeah. like, when we'd be in there lifting weights, all the doors would be closed and all the entire walls of mirrors would just be, like, steamed out. Yeah. And it was like, yeah. You know, you didn't even realize it until the end. And then you're like, oh, my God, we, we just have, like, gone super hard. But Wrestling was the same way too. But, uh, yeah, now I go to, like, a soft little, like, fitness club type gym. And I'm like, man, it's like. I'm like cold in here. Yeah. Can somebody just some, turn the heat on or no, they've, uh, it's Augard's, uh, the tradition, the tradition has changed. I mean, the, the weight room was a big deal and it's obviously where you got to develop guys. Yeah. And I got all, I don't know if you've been in lately, but th- up until last year, there was the same weights we used. Really? So, like they just revamped the entire weight room. So all new racks, all new, like, you know, the, the, the weights that bounce now, like the rubber, oh, yeah, rubber yeah. plates. So all new stuff looks awesome. So I mean, you got that's where you develop the guys, and and kind of Braswell started it, and then Coach Underwood has kind of embraced that, and mm-hmm. and uh, guys are strong. Man, I went in there a couple weeks ago, guys. There's some pretty strong, some num- big numbers up there. Yeah, for, for yeah, high school great. guys. Oh, they post those. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I'm, I think Coop still has like, I want to say he was benching like 400 pounds in high school, which is just my goodness, is just insane. 
So it's, yeah, that was never me. Yeah, yeah not me either. Mm. I think that my strongest bench was several years ago. I had been doing CrossFit, and and it's like the weirdest thing. You know, you get good at things you're not even doing. So I was like repping 275, and I was like, I don't even bench. Yeah, no, I mean, hey, I mean, they say you get stronger. You know, they say like. Oh, yeah, like I had some kids, yeah. and I got dad strength. Yeah, I mean. Now I'm getting old man I strength. I want to say so. like right now is probably some of our strongest. They say you're kind of your strongest in your mid-30s probably. Yeah, I've been so. thinking so lately. You know, I've been feeling really strong. But, man, <laughs> hey, dude, yeah, it's it's it's. I still haven't gotten the bench thing down. I, I mean, I, I'm more of oh, a yeah. – uh, I can squat decent, but more I'm more uh, with kicking. We we work a little more on like kind of like uh, kind of like more body weight, like kind of yoga type uh, kettlebell. Yeah, a lot of like um, single leg stuff. So it's more mo- mobility stuff than it is really just sitting there under a bench, benching or squatting. Oh yeah. So it's, it's man, kettlebell is like my favorite yeah. thing. And then I heard somebody say it's the most versatile, inexpensive piece of gym equipment, like home gym essentially that you could ever buy. And I thought about that, and and I have a buddy who, online, he has an Instagram page where he does, like, different flows with the bell, and he creates a new one every day, and he'll do 30 days with the bell, 30 days with the med or sandbag, 30 days with, like, a heavy rope, and it'll just come up with different stuff, and it's just amazing what you can do with those implements with, like, a flow, incorporating some lunges, yep. like, front, front squats. I mean, Hudson... Hudson Rose is my my trainer. We've we do we pretty much do some kind of a kettlebell flow or some kind of a swing or something every day. We're every time we're in the gym. I mean, it's I mean, I'm sure I'm sure kettlebell sales went through the roof during COVID. Oh yeah, I mean, like for sure. I mean, that's literally if you have like a fifty pound or fifty three pound kettlebell, you can do. I mean, you can do anything. You can yeah. do bench. You can do you can do all cleans. You can. I mean, you can get like I said, those things are full body. It's one of the best inventions, and I love it, man. I I, I have tons of them in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, kettlebells are they're awesome. I mean, they're super full full body functional thing. Yeah, I'm about to see if you can um, have them check one as a check luggage on go. a flight. How <laughs> oh. heavy is that one? Uh, I don't be, know. You'll be a little. Might, low, you might be a little over I'm the. Think uh, about taking the 53. Well, you know, when you fly all the time, you get the status, there and you then go. they're like, "Okay, Mr. Griffith." No, not really. We'll see. Um, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to try that. Cause I'm trying to think about how to get them, you know, on an international flight. And I think it's gotta be the way. Yeah. That or you just got to bite the bullet and buy them when you get out there. Uh, yeah. But it's so hard to find them. You know, it's weird. Uh, I'm sure there's a way, but I haven't figured it out yet. There's always a price. Yeah, of course. Of course. But I'm, I'm wondering, can you, you know, it's actually amazing. Like you don't often think about it, but when you're, flying like you can I mean, you see all these type of these people fly with like boxes that they like duct tape this box and just put a label on it in case it gets lost it says their address and i'm like i didn't know you could just fly with a box yeah i had no yeah, idea so i'm gonna find out if you can fly with a kettlebell let me know how that goes yeah yeah let me know how that goes <laughs> <laughs> we'll see so what about the uh what about the uh more current um business ventures like uh, we we went and saw you. You got into custom home building. I think that's awesome. I've always, I don't know if this is like everybody who gets into their late twenties and thirties, but like when you get into buying homes and and have worked really hard and can afford different things, like I I just really like that process of of looking at real estate, looking at the different options that you can have in terms of a yard or a location or 
you know, a, a deck or a number of bedrooms. So you you actually went as far as to uh, design yeah, yeah. and procured the lot and, and had built a custom home. And that that was, what, a 15-month process? Yeah, it took about, the last one took about 15 months. But that, that uh, rolled over into COVID. So did that slow that down any? We just, uh, I learned a lot. I, I pre-sold the house, so that kind of slowed things down. Because okay. I, I let the buyer kind of pick out a few things. So I've learned a lot from that, that sometimes it's better just to wait and finish the house. So take you a little extra time before you put on the market. So mm-hmm. you have to, you know, you might have to pay interest for a few more months, but in the long run, it saves a lot of time if you just can get it done. Because we waited, I let the buyer pick out some, I think some uh, countertops and stuff like that. And it was just, it prolonged the house by like two months. Because mm-hmm. until that gets picked out, my GC couldn't, couldn't move on with the rest of the interior of the house. So it it's, could be something to it on the business side, though. Like let let somebody feel like they have some control over yeah. this. Not just they're going to walk into a home and they have to accept everything. As well as for you, like having that that forecasted pipeline in terms of the. But yeah, I mean, term. if you're gonna, like I said, I mean, it's, if you're sell, if you're selling a couple million dollar house, if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna put it on the market before it's fully, fully done, it, a lot of buyers are probably going to want to have some kind of input. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to spend that kind of money. They're going to want to have a little bit of a, of their touch here or there. But I think these next two, because I got two going right now, these next two I'm probably going to finish out or be pretty much it's pretty much so far down the line that there can be no changes mm-hmm. just because um, I feel confident in what I pick out and what I like, to, what I do. And I feel like that, you know, if I'm, if I'll live in it, I think most other people would too. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we got so we got two going right now. One in landfall, and one in old military. One's a farmhouse, and then the other one in landfall, super super modern, custom like something that's never been seen in landfall. So I'm super excited about that. That's actually where I'm headed after we get off this podcast to make sure my guys are uh, doing their job and working. Yeah. I just got to check in on them, making sure it's a beautiful day out. So it's a great day to be working out there in construction. Yeah, because you're right on the marsh, right? Yep, right on the marsh. So we're laying a bunch of foundational stuff right now. Yeah, that's so, really cool. But I mean, you know, I think like you said, everybody, you know, we all, every, I think as we get older, we all see real estate can be a very great thing to have in your portfolio or very something that can make you some money. So I think, I think most people that are our age kind of see it the same way, whether they get some rentals or whatever. So I think as you learn, you grow and you learn about finance stuff, you see that real estate is a great investment. So yeah. I think that's why you're seeing a lot of people getting into that just because a lot of former athletes have all formed like little real estate groups and are doing all kinds of stuff and, you know, maybe b- way bigger projects than I'm doing. I mean, there's a kicker, um, kick for the Baltimore Ravens, Matt Stover, I think. Mm-hmm. I want to say someone told me he has like a real estate group or something. I don't quote me, but I want to say it's massive. Like that's, mm-hmm. he's got a huge group now that does huge projects, like big, like big commercial, like apartments and condos. And that's where the money, you know, that's where the big, big money is. Yeah. But I've noticed like Emmett Smith, a lot of these guys, I think a lot of these, you know, you have some capital, and if you're smart, real estate's a great place to put it. Mm-hmm. And you'll see, you see that with a lot of athletes and stuff like that. What do you do? What are you doing now that you're retired? Most of the guys are like, hey, I'm doing some kind of real estate investment or I got apartments or I'm renting. I got rentals or, you know, it's just because rentals are a great stream of income. So, um, yeah, that's some mailbox money. And uh, so, yeah, I think that as you learn, as you grow in the finance world, you see that real estate for the most part is a really good Really good investment. What do you enjoy most about the um, building the homes custom? I think it's the like just the creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, obviously, I I do some photography too. I think there's just a creative side I found in myself after mm-hmm. playing football. 
And I just love being able to kind of take something from scratch, like just literally a piece of dirt, like a lot. And just like, man, we just put up this, uh, you know, we designed the, one of the coolest, the sickest houses. Like, you know, I try to make sure just, it, it, I think at the end, it's like when you see the smile on the face of the person buying it, it's just yeah. super, it's just one of the most amazing experiences to see that like, hey, I designed this, I came up with this floor plan. And then you see the buyer whose face is lit up when they get in there and their family sees the house. It's just a cool kind of start to finish experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the creative side's awesome. Like it lets you kind of, and it's just so much fun to kind of dig in and like just, just think outside the box. And most stuff we do, we try to be, I try to be a little different than your normal things. Like we're doing a farmhouse right now that you can be pretty standard with, but we're adding all these crazy touches to it that just puts my stamp on it. So mm-hmm. I like to just try to do something just a little different um, to maybe get to gain a little more interest in the market. So like, and that one's from the ground up too, the yep, farmhouse. Yeah. That's cool. So I always try to like my goal every time I build a house is to change the market and set a new price per square foot uh-huh. mark in that area. So like, that's my goal. That's what we did in on tolls road. Cause we sold at a square footage price one back from the intercoastal for a lot more than what everyone thought we would. Yeah. Um, the, the one we're doing in on, on old military right now, the farmhouse, it's going to probably set a new record from a square foot standpoint if we sell it for what we want to, but, and then landfall is going to be another one. I mean, we're going to try to set the, set the, set the mark. So that's the key. I try to build stuff. That's a little bit more unique, take a chance, take a risk, but usually it pays off and it sells a little bit more than something else. So we try to set that benchmark and, the new square footage mark for the area we're in. So that's kind of what I try to do every time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, that, that's know, cool. You just got to always say, just buy something and buy unique property. So I always try to find something that's either on the water. Um, the one on Greenville loop, your kids can walk to Bradley Creek. So like so many parents, that's like a dream of theirs to have their kids be able to just walk to school. Oh, for sure. So that one I hope will go quick and we'll go for a great price. And I know the market right now is a little bit weird with, you know, with the housing market, but I think as long as you stay unique and you, um, you build in just you, in kind of more you know, places that people want to be, then you're yeah. usually pretty safe. So I try to stay on the water or be some kind of water access or something where that's accessible for people's kids and stuff like that. So yeah. And there's water not too far from there too. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So I think down it'll be used to launch kayaks there and, and, uh, kayak to Mason, bro. Yeah. So I think you can, I th- I'm not positive, but I think there's a little boat ramp down there. You can yeah. join, Maybe with this little small little HOA. So, yeah, I just try to find stuff that's unique because I know, you know, it can get the market has gone, has gotten volatile a little bit. And then, you know, back in obviously 08 when it was really bad, you know, I just always just say, hey, as long as I'll buy something where I would live, most of the time I feel pretty comfortable about investing in it and building. It's good to trust yourself that much. Maybe that comes from what we were talking about earlier. I like it. Do you think you'll stay in the um, single family homes? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's just hard, you know, it's, it's expensive to build. And, yeah. um, the one in landfall is a pretty big undertaking for me. It's the biggest, I mean, it's the biggest project I've ever done. It's 6,000 square foot house, which I never ever in my life thought a dream that I'd ever be building something like that. I mean, it's just, you know, I got a great GC, Drew Schaefer, uh, Roostone building. So he kind of, he, t- I'm kind of more of the, I take the risk, right? So I have obviously, I'm the one that's investing all the money. Yeah. And so I'm the one that's really at the end of the day, if it doesn't sell, I'm the one that's in trouble. So, um, but you know, I think eventually I'd love to get into, um, I love rooftops. Anything, if you see any house I build, most of the time it has a rooftop on it. I just think that that's the coolest thing. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter where you live. Like 
anyone that can say, Hey, let's go up on the rooftop and have a drink. Like that's just a, it's just an amazing thing to be able to do. And I just think that I wish more people, I think it's starting to come around more, but I wish more people would do that here. So would you say even in the deck sense, was your, your last one? We had a rooftop rooftop. Yeah. Yeah. We were up there on the top. I mean, we were, you're overseeing. I remember that. That was like four stories up. And at that point it was only stairs. Yeah. So you had a 300 degree view of Wrightsville beach and Mason borough and, I don't know. There's something about being up up high like that, where it just just it's just nice, man. It's just something that I think. So the house and landfall, we have a little, we have like a little at the very end of the one side of the house, we have like a kind of a rec room, and then if you walk up the stairs, we got a rooftop, and the views are just right over the marsh, and it's just gonna be epic. So I'm excited about that, and um, I think I think I'll, I'd love to get in some mixed use. Like I'd love to do like a twenty. 20 like a 20 spot like condo or something you know I'd, I'd love to get more into that the bigger stuff it just takes it takes money yeah and um you know i like to do my stuff kind of on my own like I, i'll team up with some people here and there but i like to really like kind of be in charge of because if it's if it fails i want it to be me yeah. you know like i'm big on like just taking all the risk and like so it's harder so i'm kind of trying to go slow and slow but my goal is to do 10 proper 10 projects by 40 years old so that's my that's my goal. So, That's wild. So I'll be, I got four years to do. I've done, I'll have three done. So I got, I got seven more to go. So I better, mean. Better stay busy. I'm, I'm going to try to, but now it's just about trying to find the, man, lands, stuff's getting, stuff's expensive right now. Yeah. And interest, interest rates are tough. So just kind of got to just kind of, I think right now the key is just being patient. Yeah. I think tough is an understatement, <laughs> right? Maybe like triple yeah. since so uh, several years ago. Everything, every, everyone I try to, I try to tell everyone just to be patient. Like, you know, it'll. Sooner or later, interest rates got to come back down to, uh-huh. re- to recorrect everything. So just keys being patient right now. And there's so many properties I want to buy, but I just know I need to be patient and like get through these two projects and not overextend myself because that's the key. Just making sure that um, I always say like I always want to always want to make sure in a dire strait I can always pay back. You know I don't want to ever overextend myself. I think that's where things got a little crazy back in the day in '08 and stuff where. People were so over leveraged yeah. and then all of a sudden it just crashed. And like, that's my biggest fear. So I always make sure that I'm very smart about like that. I, whatever I'm doing, I can always pay it back on it. If something ever just goes, goes crazy and it goes to shit, like mm-hmm. I can pay it back and I'm okay. So that's the key. So that's why I haven't gone too crazy yet with like mixed use multifamily. Right. I'm trying to kind of be slow and be kind of slowly kind of work up the mountain and not go just all of a sudden to the top. So, cause I can fall real quickly. So. Yeah, well, I guess in next three years, seven projects, two projects this year, seems like you're on track. Yeah, I mean, you know, you never know. I mean, <coughs> I got to figure out if I do do like a bigger apartment complex, I got to figure out if that maybe counts for like two or three because, yeah. you know, if we do like 10 apartments or, you know, if we do like a little mixed use thing, that might be like a couple projects in one just because, so I have my eyes on a few things. It's just a matter of, like I said, being just smart and, you know, us being from here it's the one place that I feel pretty comfortable about comfortable about doing real being in real estate. Cause I yeah. kind of know, you kind of know what's hot, like what spots work and what don't. And like, that's the one, cause I don't know what, you know, if I went to Charlotte, I have a lot of friends that are like, come up to Charlotte or Raleigh. And I'm just like, I just don't know the, I'm not as versed in that market. Right. So like, I feel very, very comfortable in at home here in getting into real estate. And I know like, Hey, if I buy over here, it's a guaranteed win because it's just a great place to be. So yeah. like, that's just, so I feel very comfortable where I'm at building. So the key now is just continuing just to kind of figure out where I want to go next. And um, so I'll probably be, I'll be pretty busy with this one and the landfall one. And then I'll probably start looking again, probably the end of next year. Yeah. So oh my word. Yeah. That big, that, that, that one in landfall is going to take, uh, 
That's an eighteen month project. I mean, the lot alone is just um it's crazy. So it's just a lot of foundational work and a lot of prep stuff to really the house is pretty simple to to like frame, but just the groundwork for it has been it's taken a long time. Yeah. So, That's really uh, cool, man. It's fun. Well, I know you got to roll over to the project. So thank you very much for joining us and uh, and sharing a lot of your experience. And next time we got to talk about Blue Shark. Yeah, absolutely. Another man. one of your cool investments. So that's uh, exciting vodka or is there any migration into other right? Um, yeah, right we, can, we can talk about it for a minute. I mean, Blue Shark Vodka, is the, that's, our, that's our one spirit right now, but yep. um, and we're doing very well. Award winning, right? Award, yeah, we've won tons of awards. Um, we're in North Carolina, South Carolina, Las Vegas, and then Southern California now. Nice. So we're slowly, you know, we're slowly growing. It's like real estate. We're trying to kind of not overstep and... We always want to make sure we can fulfill orders and never have any issues with that. So that's why we're probably not in like Florida and these some of the, some of our bigger states yet. We just want to make sure that we can take care of everything and make sure we're not going to ever miss something. So, um, but then yeah, we got a tequila coming out. Um, I can't say when. I mean, hopefully in the next next year sometime. Yeah. We got the tequila coming, and then um, we got some other things in the works. But we got we're going to eventually be a full spirits brand. So we're going to have we'll have a rum, uh, maybe a gin down the road. So, you know, vodka, tequila, gin, and rum, I mean, that's some pretty good stuff. So, um, for sure. What are, what are some of the awards that Blue Shark has won so far? Man, we've won, um, we got a platinum, which is the highest honor at the San Diego Spirits Festival last year. And only two platinums were awarded in the entire contest last year, uh-huh. which is pretty cool. And then we've gotten Consumer's Choice uh, Platinum Awards at the SIP competition in New York uh, two or three years in a row now. Um, and that's a pretty cool contest because that's completely consumer driven. So, um, it's like the biggest consumer driven spirit contest in the world. Yeah. And I like that because you're not getting like a panel of judges that like kind of have a certain taste or, you know, some people just have a certain, certain spirit they like. Right. right. So like, I like this cause it's literally sent out to 250 or something people that want to participate in this. So yep. they don't know, they don't have a background in like spirits. So I love that cause that means the consumer is rating us the highest Right. And they're just in it to drink. They just like the taste of it. And that's what, who's buying it at an ABC exactly. store. You know what I mean? That's, so that's the most important person. That's yeah. what I love about, um, that's why I love those awards. And we've done so well there at the SIP awards. And then we actually got best in class for our bottle lineup. So like we got a fifth half gallon. Then we got that boutique fifth with is the blown glass with the shark in it. Yeah. We actually beat out Michael Jordan Centoro, <laughs> which you know, one beats Michael Jordan in anything. Yeah. But we beat him in, on the bet, we got the best in class for our bottle lineup. So we beat out his Centauro tequila, which was designed by like a Nike guy. Yeah. At like 23 degree angles. You got to send him a handwritten yeah. letter. Yeah. I mean, hey, man, if he wants to get involved with us, that'd be, I don't know if we'd say no to that. Because so. <laughs> he's got a, I mean, his tequila is fantastic. Hey, so. Mike, you want to come to the winning team? Yeah. <laughs> well, we could all, we could all partner up or there something. Yeah. JV. Yeah. But uh, that was pretty cool. So we've, um, yeah, we've won a ton. I mean, we just got named like the top. I want to say it was a top 18 um, domestic vodkas in the country. Oh, wow. Which is pretty cool. So yeah. there's a website that does some vodka ratings, and we got ranked pretty high. But um, it's a super, like anything, like any any job, it's super competitive. Um, yeah. there's, a new, there's a new vodka coming out every day, uh-huh. um, especially tequila. Tequila is like the hottest, I think, spirit right now. Yeah. You see a lot of celebrities getting into that. I feel like I, I haven't as commonly seen the, uh, the like mixed drinks on tap. Is that a common thing? No, it's not super common, but we, um, I heard Tito's did a lot of that down in Austin uh-huh. when they got big. 
And I just think from a branding standpoint, it's pretty cool to be able to just go in and you just see Blue Shark on the tap, you know, and it's like, oh, it's a Moscow Mule or a, most places have like a Moscow Mule or some version of that or like a, a Blue Shark and Lemonade or something easy that you pour, you know, because the formula is like, um, you know, two part, two half gallons of vodka and then whatever you want to do your mix out of. Yeah. And for the people that are local here, where are y'all on tap? So for, for here in Wilmington, we are in, um, we are at the Holiday in Sunsbury on the beach. We're at Flying Machine at Wrightsville Beach. Um, we're at Grand Crew, Fish House, Elijah's, um, and we're just kind of going from there. So we're slowly growing. Um, we'll be in some, I'm sure, hopefully by the by the end of the year, we'll be in five to ten more restaurants for, with our taps. But mm-hmm. we still have the vodka. Vodka's obviously in there. Yeah, yeah. Just to be on taps is kind of cool to be able to go in and just be like, hey, man, I want the... I want that blue shark on draft. Yeah, and it creates good yeah. brand recognition, so yeah. that's great. And that's the key. So, I mean, I heard heard that uh, someone told me Tito's got someone. There was a, you know, Tito's is from Austin. There was a guy who had, like, a big syndicated radio show in New York City who had, like, 5 million listeners, and he's from Austin. He, he saw, he tried uh, Tito's for the first time down there, kind of started talking about it on air in front of his 5 million listeners, and, Supposedly someone told me that's kind of how Tito's got really big. They ended up starting distributing in, in New York City, and then it was kind of rest is history. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of it's kind of luck and just kind of getting into, you know, the right place at the right time. Um, we just um, had like a – there's a hotel group out of Charleston that just came in to and stayed at the Holiday Inn, and they saw our Blue Shark on tap. Yep. And so our owner just presented to all the executives with that, and so we're hoping to get some – some good leeway there with some hotels down in like Myrtle beach in Florida eventually. So it's just about really just people seeing your brand and then, you know, yeah. but, at the, but it all starts with a good product. So. Well, and, and too, like you said, putting in the reps and, and I, w- I will end with the quote of, uh, that I really like of the harder I work, the luckier I get. That's right. I love <laughs> that. I love that. Heck yeah, man. Well, I really appreciate it, Connor. Dude, thanks Take for care, having brother. me, man. Of That's course. Awesome. Let's do it again. Absolutely. All right, my all man. 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 Take care. Take care.